Hello and welcome to The Appetite, a podcast brought to you by Opal Food and Body Wisdom, an eating disorder treatment center in Seattle, Washington. I'm your host, Carter Umhau, a therapist, artist, and writer. And today I'm sitting down with Opal co-founders Karabazi and Lexi Giblin, and we are talking about anger. Anger <laughs> is an emotion that we all know, but there are definitely some common assumptions around its usefulness, maybe its lack of usefulness, and we're going to be discussing both why it matters and what it has to do with your relationship to food and body, potentially. Welcome. Thanks. Hey Thank you. Yeah. Anyone feeling angry right now? <laughs> we have all smiles on our um, face. Let's get congruent. I'm <laughs> mad. I know. Mad. Uh, I felt angry yesterday. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. did I. <laughs> I had a dream that, in which I was incredibly angry. Mm. Someone, like, looked at me wrong in the dream, and I got pretty violent. Mm-hmm. I have scary. rage dreams. Really? Ooh. That's where my rage comes out. <gasps> I can have some massive rage fests. Oh my gosh. Uh, it's always interesting. Right? Analyze that one. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> the repressed emotions coming yeah. out at night. Yep. <laughs> Freedom. Um, <laughs> Lexi, can you give us a, a bit of an overview around why anger matters? Yeah. So... Anger really helps us kind of focus on an aspect of life that we care about. Mm-hmm. It usually comes up when we are when a goal is being blocked in some way, something we wanted is not attainable, or someone's gotten in the way of that goal, or someone's crossed our boundaries, for example. So it's it's a really, really, really important emotion to have because it it protects us and kind of focuses us and gives us energy to fight and have passion to impact the world around you mm. and protect yourself from things that that you don't want in your world. So it's sort of a fierce protector, potentially. Yeah, it helps you problem solve. Mm-hmm. And that problem solving could be safety. Yeah. I'm, I'm listening to you and thinking, gosh, what would it be like if we all held that perspective of anger mm-hmm. and we weren't scared of it? Right? Right? I know. I know we're going to get to gender, but I don't know if this is the time <laughs> yeah. to get to gender. Sure, yeah, bring it. But I just think of our own stories around this, given that we're all female-identified women. Um, and, and all white women. All white all women. White women yeah. That's another component, yeah. And just what this conversation would be like if we had a man in the room. Because I assume the experience of feeling anger might be more in line with what Lexi's saying, whereas for women, I think it's hard to embrace it in that kind of positive way because there's a lot of fear around it. Yeah. Tons of fear. We were talking about this before we started recording today, that anger is often confused with violence and rage, or it's assumed that that's where it would lead. And I feel like it's especially maybe for women and especially for white women, it would be something that would be so demonized. It's put on us as women to be angry that we're like suddenly irrational mm-hmm. and crazy for getting mad. Hysterical. And being a bitch. Not pretty. Not right. composed. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. And and then I think there's also the demonization of like the angry black woman that again, that would be a sort of a irrational, crazy, uh, something to other that it would be bad for anger to be expressed, which is incredibly incredibly oppressive and Mm -hmm. incredibly demeaning. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So one of the books that I've been looking through recently, it's called Good and Mad. It's by Rebecca Traster. 
it's a powerful book. And I'm, I want to read one of the quotes right now just because of it makes sense and given what we're talking about. It's a quote by Sarah Robinson in the book. It says, men literally have no idea how to even legitimately recognize or name our anger, largely because we don't either. This is new territory for everyone. Women's rage has been so sublimated for so long that there's simply no frame for what happens when it finally comes to the surface. Yes. I, uh, yes. <laughs> I say yes to that. But I also I think that it reminds me of something that I feel like I've heard so much, even within the psychology and counseling world, that anger is a secondary emotion, which for a long time I really believed. I'm like, oh, yes, underneath the anger is the real feeling. Underneath the anger is the, you know, actual experience. And the anger is just sort of coming forward as defense and protection. I really don't buy it anymore. I think mm-hmm. that that's a way to minimize and demean anger. I think that it can be a secondary emotion. It can be defensive. It can be something that is meant to protect and push people away or attack. A lot of times, though, you're just allowed to be mad. There are a lot of things to be mad about. Mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily something that has been able to be to wrap our heads around what it's like for a woman to be Mm -hmm. mad Mm -hmm. um, and for that to be okay without it having to be sort of put into some other category of or oh, dressing sh- it up. This book yeah. this book talks about dressing up your anger, like finding socially acceptable forms, they say, of wrath. Ooh, like what? Well, it was interesting. And I, I was like, yep, check, 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 check. <laughs> the first one that I particularly identify with is crying. Mm-hmm. How oftentimes crying is, the, is uh, a, a woman's response to anger. I actually feel like we could pause on that one because I feel like we've talked about, we talked about that, right? Of our own experiences of crying with anger. Have you guys had that experience? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Lexi, you have. I'm having a hard time because I, like, okay, I need to, okay, I think, I think what I'm, I'm frustrated with myself because I feel like I have all this stuff to say, but in when we're in the podcast together, there's never any space in between comments. Like mm-hmm. I don't jump in in time, so mm-hmm. then I feel like I'm not. I don't have a voice in this in this space, and I'm. It's really frustrating, mm-hmm. and like I don't have a flow. I feel like really mm-hmm. off my flow about what I'd want to say at mm-hmm. this point because you've said the things that I wanted to say, and I don't. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's interesting that in a podcast on anger, I've become angry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and frustrated mm-hmm. and I'm thinking about like what happened to me that caused me to be angry and frustrated and I think I had several times that I had a goal of some sort of like I want to say mm-hmm. this I want to say that and it got blocked in different ways like somebody got got in there before I did and so I felt myself getting frustrated over and over again and like I feel like over over the years, anger's been a lot of um, kind of one of the main emotions that I have the least amount of relationship to, and have learned to understand more and use more and capitalize on in my life. And certainly, it's been a messy journey that I was in a relationship with someone who was really comfortable with anger, and it was just constant frustration and anger, and that was sort of the tone of the conversation. And so I, I really struggled with kind of getting comfortable with more of that like kind of conversational anger like more like kind of a brewing simmering anger and I feel like in later years I've become more expressive of anger and I feel like Julie's actually been great in that Julie our co-founder 
I find her to be more expressive, quick to express anger and more like really passionate and will just get get going on something and you just feel yourself falling into um, into it with her. And so I feel like I've gotten better at expressing anger. And one of the one of the ways in which I used to, like Kara, like what you were saying, I used to, when I would feel anger, I would go right to tears and feel sad all of a sudden, even though I had just momentarily been, moments ago, been angry. And now I feel like I got angry in this podcast with you all today, got frustrated, and then didn't cry, you know, and I used to, I feel like I used to just go, I would have been right to tears. I kind of held my, held my frustration and tried to work myself, work my way through it in a way that was just very different than how I would have been when I was younger, where I would have just probably collapsed and cried and wanted to be taken care of. But actually, the source of my experience was really more frustration, not sadness. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I'm sitting here in response to it, highlighting my own in-the-moment experience of somebody else expressing their anger and how I quickly back off to accommodate because I don't I don't want someone upset with me so I'm like mm-hmm. oh there's there's a good <laughs> I'm right at a learning moment too like mm-hmm. that's my typical as to um that's where I have fear I have fear around anger and not wanting to upset upset someone. upset someone yeah and which is not like that again that's uh, that is something that I would like I, and I've made efforts and want to change so I'm catching it right here in the moment too of not immediately just saying well I did something wrong I gotta back off Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think that the language that we're using today is about being triggered. This whole idea of not being upset when somebody triggers you. But I like, I really love this idea of, you know, being okay with being triggered and sort of this not apologizing for triggering others. But it just, it, I guess it just seems like there's a lot of work that we're doing for each other on behalf of each other to protect each other from our triggers and feeling emotion. And I guess this playing with this idea of, of being okay with whatever comes up and whatever anger might be there. Mm-hmm. But I'm with you. I do not like it. It's hard to have other people angry mm-hmm. with, with me. Yeah. And I'm trying to think of what my alternative, I mean, my alternative, I think, is that I'm expressing that now in this moment of that's what was going on for me, right? Versus um, backing away from you and kind of hiding Mm. um, or trying to appease even more or something like that. But it's challenging. Wait, so you you felt like you were backing away from me? That's what I would typically do. That would you typically do. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I found myself wanting to and then Mm. and then trying to get curious. Instead trying to get curious. I'm like, okay, well, what's going on right now? (laughs) Mm -hmm. I see like I I, like I feel like that really fits. Um, if you had energy around something that you wanted to say and you felt like there wasn't an ability to do that, it makes sense you'd be angry. Yeah, I think it says something important about how Oftentimes, again, anger needs to be sort of appeased. There's a sense that it needs to like kind of hush, be hushed down mm-hmm. or satisfied in some way, like either control the person that's angry or just fix the thing that they're angry about. But actually being in a live conflict mm-hmm. where it just maybe continued to be angry back and forth for a while is fine. And it's especially difficult, I think, in intimate relationships like with Lexi because I think of 
if I get mad at something systemically or if I get mad at like that there was an example of something last week where I felt a lot of anger, but I didn't have a personal intimate connection with an individual in it. I felt much more freedom to use my passion as fuel to create change. But in this moment, this is a lot harder for me. Mm-hmm. It's a lot harder for me. Yeah. And I am noticing something that's coming up for me that feels really familiar in my anger story as well is, you know, maybe I will express anger or frustration of some sort, and then the other person will express their their experience like you just did of like, well, but I I, I have things to say too. <laughs> and what will often happen for me is that my empathy gets so I I will very much turn on my empathy. So like right now I'm like, oh Kara, of course I want that for you. And I oh, you know, just understanding your perspective so much as you say it, that I like lose track of my own anger and my original frustration that I'll, I'll kind of lose myself in the other person's experience of like, well, that's really important in my experience now. I kind of demote my own experience in relationship with others. So I'm noticing that happening for me right now as we've talked about it. And I'm just hold, I'm trying to hold my, well, like, yeah, I can see that. And, right. you know, the whole dialectic of um, holding empathy for Kara's experience, but then also holding my own experience of frustration. Right. Seems like we're both doing a kind of similar thing. Mm-hmm. And I, to, to bring this back to food and body, like I was making an immediate connection to of my own history with having an eating disorder is I, would, I was much more preferred to self-sacrifice in that way than be upsetting to other people. Yeah. I don't want that. Like that actually makes me angry now that I was so willing to sacrifice myself for other people. And I don't want to do that, but here we are in this moment, and it's so easy to to be like, okay, what do you need? What do you need? Okay, talk. Like, uh-huh. I want you to have space. You know, uh-huh. it's it's crazy how quickly that goes. Yeah, we have to be so conscious about it. I feel like I'm having to really yeah think about oh, staying connected to my anger. It's so Even, much more comfortable to be empathetic. You guys are empathetic people but right. not everybody <laughs> it's, it's I don't think maybe to other well I think it could be but I, I think I also just want to say that you know there are so many different ways to deal with sort of the vulnerability and the loss of control that could happen you know it's like if you've lost your ground or you've lost a goal or a boundary has been crossed that might mean you wind up wanting to be more connected and it's hard to stay in the anger or sometimes it's really easy for some people to go straight to anger and stay there and then refuse to be vulnerable again, right? And just like block up any access that someone could have to them. And I I feel like that can be a really, um, really common and understandable way to respond as well. Protection. Yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. Mm -hmm. There's sort of protection on either side, Mm -hmm. whether it means that you're being more amenable or you're, you know, shutting off. Both are a protection of some kind, which is, I think, striking to me to think about because anger often is something that is protective to begin with. And so there's sort of like all these different layers to it. Mm-hmm. And so easy to to then, you know, if there's not a way to express that or nowhere for it to go, to then to do something in which it's internalized, whether through your own relationship to your body or to food or by just, you know, refusing to express it in some way. Yeah. Like where does all the anger go if it doesn't get expressed is kind of a familiar zone for us mm-hmm. with, in treatment of eating disorders. Because a lot of times 
a person's eating disorder may be an expression of anger in itself, a really indirect expression of anger. Or perhaps a person may have a lot of anger towards, actually a lot of justified anger towards someone else in their life. But instead of communicating that anger directly towards the person, maybe because of the empathy they feel Mm -hmm. towards the person, maybe they love the person and they Mm -hmm. don't feel comfortable sharing it. Perhaps um, they may be vulnerable then to turning it inward and turning it into themselves, maybe through eating disorder symptoms sort of as a expression of anger or punishment of self. For as difficult as, as it is for me to stay in anger, I, I was thinking of how much relief I felt in I felt in watching Beyonce's lemonade video. Oh yeah. And especially <laughs> The scene where she's going down the street in their dress and has the baseball bat and is hitting objects. And like there is something so relieving and I guess envious to me of watching that and like the cathartic expression of taking all that energy around anger and the and her husband's infidelity and and the whacking of all this uh, the streets. And she just owns it. I mean, she is just walking down that street owning it but she's smiling the whole time and is in this gorgeous dress yeah and uh, yeah. that i think is this interesting if, yeah. if if people have seen lemonade i sort of just want to assume everybody has but i know everybody yeah. has it and i think everybody should it's such a good amazing amazing sort of picture of a process around emotion that beyonce made as like a sort of a short film kind of a music video for every single song on her album lemonade and it's this progression of experience around wondering about and then finding out that there that her husband jay-z had cheated on her and then sort of the process from there on out Mm -hmm. and in that scene she's like she's getting angry for the first time but she's still smiling she's like kind of owning the streets this sort of like sassy sexy Mm -hmm. vivacious woman who's just like going to town Mm -hmm. and then in the next song she's like in the basement of that garage like Mad. mad, like mad, just mad, scary, mad. totally boss, yeah, and amazing. Yeah, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's to me that that combination of expression of anger feels so real to me mm-hmm. and and familiar. Where mm-hmm. there's sort of a version of it that first comes out as like kind of sassy and fine, or something really familiar to women. That there's a version of it that's like. I don't need you. Like, the, you know. Mm-hmm. But there's know. something about, I mean, I love, I mean, I love Beyonce. And mm-hmm. I love the whole ownership of her anger and her sexuality. Um, but there's something about, like, how come Beyonce can be angry, but then other people can't? Or they're, they're, they're described as more shrill and unlikable, like Hillary Clinton, for example. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like it's something to do with appearance and sexuality. Like the combination of looking the way she looks mm-hmm. with anger mm-hmm. and an expression of pretty intense sexuality. Mm-hmm. Like something about that is palatable to us and mm-hmm. to women and to men. But if Beyonce was not using her sexuality or wasn't didn't look the way she looks, would we experience it the same way? Mm-hmm. Probably not. Probably not. Yeah. Right? I wonder because I, I put her on my you know, AirPod. Um, so I'm not looking at her. I obviously know what she looks like, but there is something about even her words 
and what she's expressing and how she's saying it in her lyrics that yes. also gives me such relief. There's the directness, the no bullshitting, the like not using softer language yep. is so relieving. Yep. Yeah, and I, I think that reminds me of something that I feel like is really important and powerful about anger. You've got to be in touch with yourself mm-hmm. to express anger effectively. I feel like it... It's honest. It's very honest. And I think that that is, A, more palatable, but also more powerful than someone that's just sort of like, "Ah!" Mm -hmm. just throwing a tantrum. And she is so connected Mm -hmm. to the story that she's telling. And she has what I would like to call like a lot of righteous anger around being betrayed and is then able to say like, these are the boundaries that are crossed. You treat me like this, but I am this and this is wrong and this is right. And just like lays it out. And that's, I think, why the words are so powerful. It's not some petty argument that she's angry about. She knows the truth. She's sticking to it. Mm -hmm. She feels wronged. And she She's like, I feel it in my body right now. Just me too. about it. I'm just like, (laughs) yes. Okay. So I feel this in my body right now. I feel like I'm totally down with Beyonce and all that you're saying. And I, I think that it's, it's a result of her appearance and her, and her talent that she's Mm -hmm. able to communicate anger. And I feel like some anger <laughs> <laughs> that she's able I, see, to now, notice how I said some anger. Like, <laughs> no, I just feel anger that, that people who don't look the way she does or maybe have larger bodies or don't have the means when they express anger, it would be experienced so differently. And it, that seems really unfair. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I agree. I agree that I think she's more palatable in that way, and I think anyone that is singing and, and saying stuff that she say, I would my body yep. would respond, respond like agree. this, especially on the topic of betrayal. Yeah, I mean, it is like putting words to s- stuff that people have not put words to in a mm-hmm. way that just captures it with honesty and clarity and. And and her anger though in Lemonade was so much more appropriate than her um, when she came out at the Super Bowl and was embodying this sort of like black power mm-hmm. and there was anger and power in that that was actually not okay in the same way it wasn't received I don't it, remember that it was when was it I mean I like burst into tears it was so powerful it was like it was a it was a super bowl halftime show chris martin was part of it as well of Coldplay, and um because in this example she was more seen as the angry black woman stereotype yeah so she she was it was a an expression of rage and anger toward the beginning of the black lives matter movement and she came out on a public platform in sort of military inspired clothing with a line of black women that were not smiling, really powerful, were certainly sexy, but also like kind of scary in terms of their their seriousness. And it was really amazing. She looked the exact same, but she wasn't, it wasn't about sort of relationship and betrayal and sort of something that's a little bit more okay for a woman to be talking about and mad about. Mm-hmm. This is just striking to me. But either way, I understand the anger that you feel, Lexi, around it. But I think it does speak to the fact that, like, there's some unfairness that maybe this is some of what we're talking about in how someone's going to be received when they are expressing any emotion. And 
it's more valuable in our culture for someone to be articulate about it than it is for someone to just be like sort of fragile Mm -hmm. or just irrational or there's such judgment around sort of not being able to have it together perfectly. Right. Um, But without the appearance privilege, I'm not sure that the same words would be experienced in the same way Mm -hmm. they are. Well, and the perception's different, yeah, based on the owner of them, Mm -hmm. whether they're white or black or Mm -hmm. different race. Mm -hmm. Yeah, whether they're beautiful, whether they're different socioeconomic status, the perception's going to be different. Yep. We're going to have that bias. Yeah. I, you know, thinking about um, what I guess I'm connecting with, with her honesty, I I was thinking about what you, Lexi, if you want to share more about the RO piece of how... Oh yeah, expression of anger. Yeah, I mean, trust. that is research I love that you know that shows that people who express emotions, difficult emotions, openly are tend to be more liked, more trusted, because um, they're they're willing to kind of take risks of being known more fully, and people trust people who share who they are. You know, it's we tend to not trust people who are more flatlined. You know, so when there's variability emotion of anger and sadness and all the emotions of being human expressed, we tend to feel drawn to them more than we would someone who isn't expressing anger, for example. Yeah, one of the things I've wrestled with, and maybe that's what is just playing out between us even in this conversation, is I do feel like I get different responses when I cry. (laughs) Crying seems to draw somebody in. And so I think the fear, again, for, for me of connection is of, of the primary importance, which I'm, I'm working, I mean, I feel like I've shifted to some degree in that, but then there's more of an expression of connection often when there's crying, at least as that's been my personal experience. Yeah, that's a, such a good point. With anger, it's harder to feel connected with others. Right. Which is interesting, going back to this book, the the part around crying around getting angry one of the things that it talks about is like that might then mean that that especially with women, it's talking about in the framework of gender, but that women might have to use their voice to actually like one's first step is saying that they're angry when they're crying. So at least people know that they actually are angry instead of just taking the emotional communication as at face value. And I know like that's something that feels more doable for someone like me that doesn't have that like as much of like the anger coming out where it gets registered as anger. Mm-hmm. So I have mm-hmm. to say it. I have to say I'm mad mm-hmm. or else I, think, I don't think a lot of people know Your I'm mad. Your social signaling is My social signaling is not anger. Uh-huh. No. Mm. I mean, it's really actually, and it's, it's, it makes me, it makes me sad because then I'm not like, it, it's not accurate. Mm-hmm. You get misread, right? Yeah, I get yeah. misread. Yeah. Something I found is that it, when I, when I just go to express anger, and say what I'm angry about, it's really not that big of a deal, as big of a deal as I'd made it in my mind, right? So that sort of this uh, not saying it and kind of simmering is way worse than just saying, like, I'm frustrated, I'm upset about this, and I'm, yeah, totally. irritated. It, it just, I used to create such a big deal about it, like, in my mind, of like, I can't let them know, or I can't, sort of this hiding it, and it's just so okay when it happens and when there's kindness mixed in with the anger and respect for the other person and I don't know like I I mean even right now like I'm doing okay with you yeah right (laughs) and I think if I wouldn't have said anything I think I'd be distracted Uh uh-huh right 
I'd be stewing on it a bit. Mm-hmm. So here we go. Yeah. And what would have happened to this podcast if I just didn't say anything about my frustration? I know. It would have been a different yeah. process. You would have been stewing. I mean, you, yeah. And, and, we, would and we would have felt it. We would have felt it and we would have been impacted the whole time right. by that. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. The other thing. Go anger. I know. <laughs> the other ways that I wanted to say beyond the crying of the dressing up of anger that this book talks about is humor as another way of dressing it up. Mm. I don't really use that tactic. <laughs> I'm not very humorous. Um, but suppression mm-hmm. is another one. And then it got, talks about all the ways that especially women get sick because of suppression. Yeah. Like more of the chronic stuff going on with health and the ways that like that can be an indication of of not expressing an emotion because I think I think of like all that energy. How to, if we don't get it out, it's just stuck in our bodies. Mm-hmm. And eating disorders, yeah. right? One of the one of the health implications. Yeah, absolutely. Well, for any of you listeners, um, I can imagine you may have related a lot to some of what we were saying and may also have some of your own experience of what anger means to you, what's difficult about it, what maybe is actually really easy and there's another emotion that's way harder for you to express. I'm sure the Enneagram 8s out there are like, what are you guys talking about? (laughs) (laughs) So we would love to know if you want to reach out to us um, or just do some thinking and reflecting on your own. What is your anger trying to communicate to you? And if there is any way that you're understanding your relationship to food and body, um, either an experience of your body or the way that you're treating your body based off of some sort of repression of emotion, particularly anger, we would love to know. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you to Daniel Gunther at Jackstraw Cultural Center for sound engineering, to Aaron Davidson for the Appetites original music, and to Hans Anderson for editing. If you want to stay in touch with Opal, make sure that you follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Opal Food and Body. And if you want to learn more about our programming, make sure you check out opalfoodandbody.com. There's a lot of information there about our IOP, PHP, and outpatient services, as well as community events that come up and pop up every once in a while. Join us next time. Bye. (laughs) Whoa. God. Whoa. Woo. Woe to that.